2: slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month.
0: Hey guys, it's Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast. We are obviously in some crazy times right now. For me personally, not the best of times. You know, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's fucked up out there right now. And My kids are home from school. I am kind of, uh, I'm done working. I'm into full survival mode trying to educate my kids trying to, uh, order food online. Uh, I'm having trouble doing that. Have it delivered. You know, it's, it's really, uh, some strange times here in New Jersey of the United States of America and throughout the world. So I just wanted to mention that I'm not oblivious to it. I get it. We're, we're all in the same boat. It's completely nuts. All right. So let's, uh, let's do what we can to band together and get through this and hopefully it'll be sooner than later and i am confident that it will all return to normal it's gonna it's never gonna be normal again there's gonna be a new normal but i tell you when the rock returns when the tours return it's gonna be great it's gonna be even better because we are gonna have uh, missed it for for uh, a short amount of time, maybe a long amount of time. I don't know. So, moving forward, I'm going to do as many talking metal podcasts as I can. That might mean it, it's more than normal. It might mean it's two a week since I'm home, but it might mean it's less than normal. It might mean it's once every two weeks because honestly, I am balancing a lot of a lot of stuff, as I know you all are. Even though I can't leave my house, uh, mostly a dog and and two and two crazy kids, and um, you know Emily works from home, so she's thankfully for us still working, or else we'd be really in trouble. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. And I just wanted to say, moving forward, I'm not going to talk about COVID-19. I'm not going to talk about the fact that things are whacked out right now. I'm going to try to give you a podcast that is a, mm, let's see, something that takes your mind off of all this. I will continue to talk about things in the real world on my YouTube channel on the Mark Striegel podcast, which a lot of you patrons patrons get. But here on Talking Metal, we're going to keep things unreal. We're going to keep things in the fantasy world. and We go there a lot in this episode today. So I'm not going to mention any of this stuff for at least the next, let's say, three episodes. I'm just going to provide you with a normal Talking Metal podcast. And uh, that's that. It's a little escape from reality. We have uh, two friends on today's show. Uh, we got my friend John Wiederhorn, who has written some amazing books. We're going to talk to him about his books. And we have uh, a guy, I guess I'd call him a new friend. His name is Milton. He's a mysterious dude. He plays with a band called Jazz Sabbath, not to be confused with Black Sabbath. And... I don't know what to make of this guy. Let me know what you guys think. He is definitely a, a weird character for, for weird times, right? <laughs> so let's check it out. Jazz Sabbath. And it's a good listen, man. Now you, if you haven't heard the Jazz Sabbath album yet that's about to drop, it is great. I got an advanced copy and I, I really am really enjoying it. So again, Milton from Jazz Sabbath will be joining us in just a bit. Here we go. Let's get into the this episode of the Talking Metal Podcast. Hi, I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. On this episode, we're going to talk some rock, some metal, and anything else we feel like. We're also going to jam some tunes, have a drink, and share some honest opinions. Thanks for listening to the Talking Metal Podcast. Let's get things started. This is the Sean Baker Orchestra with Which Way to Radioland. sean baker orchestra here on the talking metal podcast that again is sean baker as in baker's dozen you know baker orchestra and that song which you can listen to just about anywhere is which way to radio land support sean baker he rocks sean hope you're doing well out there and without further ado uh, this guy is uh he's out there man he's out there his name is milton milton Keynes from the jazz trio jazz sabbath and he's got quite a story to tell and i'll let you be the verdict on his uh, on his story and there's some people who think he's a fraud there's some people who think he's a, a genius and there's some people who think you know he he may have invented heavy metal but it, but doing he did it in the jazz world so so who knows what the real story is but let's uh, let's get right into this interview right now with Milton Keynes from Jazz Sabbath. Hey, it's Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast, and on the line with me, we have a a lost legend, if you will, calling in from the band Jazz Sabbath, the one, the only, Milton Keynes. Milton, how are you?
2: Hey, man, I'm good, man, Mark. Thanks for having me.
0: You bet. You bet. I wanted to learn a little bit about you because I've read some stuff in the press about Jazz Sabbath, and it was about 50 years ago that jazz sabbath your band was set to release the uh the debut album but i guess at that point there was a health issue that you had and the album was i guess shelved is is that correct
2: yeah that's pretty much what happened mark yeah i mean back in the day i was uh i was kind of caning things quite hard as a lot of the musicians the jazz musicians did in the time Um, right yeah i was uh I didn't live life. I, uh, I attacked it, really. You know? so I was drinking six or seven bottles of petrobismol a day at one point. You know, my stomach ulcers were just in a mess. Um, but that led to a heart attack. And of course, while I was in hospital, the, um, uh, the record company didn't know if I was going to survive. So they, they shelved the album. And, uh, you know, that was the start of a pretty bad run of luck for me.
0: And at some point, they must have realized, though, that you were going to survive, but they still just weren't is- interested in releasing the album at that point.
2: Well, the problem was uh, that the, um, the the record company offices uh, burned down, and the uh, the fire uh, destroyed all the uh, all the tapes, and um, and the record company then went bust. It was all, as I say, it was like a catalogue of uh, disasters. Wow. I mean, I, I'm going to use this opportunity if I can, Mark. If yes. uh, if you don't mind, I. The owner of the record company was uh, was jailed for insurance fraud, but um, uh, I don't believe that was the case. I do think that that other band were responsible for... Uh, for an arson attack, which cost me my livelihood, and uh, that's me saying this. Uh,
0: the wow! Line. So, so you're you're saying that the story was he he burnt the warehouse the warehouse down on purpose, but you personally believe that there was a another band that that may have burned the warehouse down specifically because the master tapes for Jazz Sabbath were in the warehouse.
2: Well, I'm not going to say yes, but yes,
0: right? Okay. Well,
2: I, all right. I, I did say. Yeah, that, I, that's, I mean, that's what I believe. I mean, my lawyer has uh, advised me otherwise, but, uh, you know, you gotta, the truth's got to come out, Mark. I, I can't live this lie. You know, 50 wow. years later, uh, this, this album needs to be heard.
0: Absolutely. And we're talking to Milton from the jazz trio Jazz Sabbath. And I'm assuming, knowing what I've heard about Black Sabbath, maybe possibly stealing some of the ideas for their songs from – your songs. I'm assuming you are saying that maybe members of Black Sabbath actually burnt the warehouse down. Well,
2: I mean that's the only logical explanation that I, that I can think of, um, because or maybe somebody in their in their management team or organization or or um, you know somebody was instructed to do it because it's uh, it, it just seems it just seems a bit too
0: coincidental, you know. Right, right on. Wow, so. Anyways, 50 years later, 2019, it's discovered that the master tapes were actually not destroyed in, in the fire that may or may not have been set by Black Sabbath or their people. Um, what, what do you remember about learning about that the, that the master tapes were, were still intact, and uh, why did it take so long for these tapes to be found?
2: Well, the, there was a basement in the uh, record company offices, which, uh, which it turns out was uh, was sealed and wasn't destroyed in the fire. So the the the, um, the owner, the, the the new owner that bought the derelict buildings uh, in two thousand nineteen, he was converting it into a um, a vegan pet shop, I believe, and which. Uh, <laughs> And discovered discovered a, a collection of things down uh, down in this base, basement, this lost basement, and, um, uh, including my tapes. So that's uh, that's how I was reunited, and uh, and the, the time is now. You know?
0: Right on, right on, and the time is now. Again, the Jazz Sabbath record is set to finally see a release. Uh, is it is it out yet, Mil- Milton? When does it actually hit hit the streaming services and the stores?
2: And it should be, uh, I think it's the 20, uh, 27th of March, it, uh, it comes out. And, and this is the, you know, this is the lost album from, uh, from uh, 1969 that was, um, we've had to tidy a few things up. And I've called in a few, uh, called in a few favours from some friends of mine to, to come and,
0: uh, you know, to help tidy things up. Right on, right on. I hear you. And the songs on the Jazz Sabbath album are songs that that most of us know as Black Sabbath songs. Now you claim that Sabbath took these songs from you, stole the songs from you. How how did this happen if the album was actually never released? Do you remember them like showing up at your shows or how did they actually know the songs?
2: Well, the, I mean, they were always there. I mean, I remember seeing Giza uh, Butler um, a at, at quite a few shows, certainly down in uh, in Wilsden at the Pig and Two Flutes. He would uh, he would come down from Birmingham, um, and uh, he would sit there with a, a Chinzana and lemonade and a notepad. I, I always wow. thought that was weird. I just thought he was maybe working on some other stuff, but you know, it's pretty clear now that he was he was pretty much transcribing our our whole set and uh, getting together with Tony Iommi and. Um, and uh, and the rest is is unfortunately history. You know, it's, uh, it's it's just one tragedy after another.
0: Right on, right on. And there's a great video online where you we talk about some of the song names and how you came up with them and stuff, which we will actually link through today's show notes on TalkingRock.net and TalkingMetal.com. So definitely go check that out, guys. Um, but once again, we're talking with Milton from Jazz Sabbath and you know you mentioned tony you mentioned geezer did have you ever met you know ozzy or tony or geezer
2: well listen i've i've been uh, trying to contact them for 50 odd years i've uh, i've uh, some would some would say stalked them um but uh, i'm just trying to get the truth told i've written to them probably every uh, every 10 days for uh, <laughs> for 50 years for last, yeah pretty much wow uh, 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 you know, that takes time as well. You know, that's it, it's uh, writing letters. Is, uh, it's like writing music, man. It's kind of a lost art. So, uh, um, I mean, I'm just hoping one day they might actually get in touch. And, uh, you know, just uh, just an apology really
0: is, is what one. You're not looking for money or anything like that? Well, yeah, I'm looking for
2: money as well. But uh, you can start with an apology and then we'll uh, <laughs> right. take it from there.
0: Right, right on. Uh, so Jazz Sabbath – was uh I, I'm, I guess was a, a trio right are, are, are the two other guys still yeah. around whatever happened to those two other guys uh,
2: well yeah the um i mean the other guys i don't really uh i don't really know to be honest i mean uh god it's been it's been so long jack's uh jack i don't know he must be in his hundreds now so i've really been in touch wow with him much he's 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 getting on a bit um uh, we did actually, we did try a singer once, uh, but to um, to try and kind of you know give it a bit more of a commercial vibe. But uh, to be honest, we ditched him because he just sang over all my piano parts uh, um, and one take as well. The, the, the drummer, I mean, I think he's still alive. He lives in Mexico somewhere, but uh, yeah, haven't heard from him for a bit.
0: Right. So, if you go out and do any live performances of this at this point, those two guys will obviously no longer be involved. Well, I can't say that for
2: sure. Uh, I mean, I'd have to, uh, I'd have to try and reach out and and, and see if they'd be interested. But that's a, it's a good idea, to be honest, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought much about that. Right
0: on, right on. Uh, Rick Wakeman is, I guess, known obviously best for the band Yes, working with Yes and being in Yes. He also did work with with Bowie and Sabbath and a, a long list of. Uh, you know, really big name artist, And when I say Sabbath, I mean, black Sabbath, not jazz Sabbath. Uh, there's rumors though. He may have actually jammed with jazz Sabbath, or maybe even did some recording with jazz Sabbath back in the day. Are these rumors true? And, and what was Rick like if they, if you do know Rick? Well, to be honest, it was, we just needed
2: somebody to, uh, to come in. We were working on a second album at the same time, um, as the first, uh, debut album. And, um, we wanted to get somebody in that you know had a bit of a, a bit of a name in the jazz world. And, um, uh, well, he didn't really have a very good name, but he was uh, he was right. cheap, so we right. we got him in. And um, unfortunately, we had a bit of a, a bit of a, a setback when um, we had a bit of an issue with uh, with providing some food for him, and he stormed out of the studio. So we didn't uh, we didn't actually get him to play on uh, on anything at all. He was. Uh, it was a bit of a sad moment for me because I thought, uh, I thought it could sort of take us to that next sort of level, really. But um, anyway, he buggered off and, and that was that. So.
0: Wow. Are, are you aware that his, his son, Adam Wakeman, actually has played with Black Sabbath and is in Ozzy's band? Are, are you aware of, of that? Mm, no, I, I'm not aware of uh, aware of What was his name? Adam Adam Wakeman.
2: No, not, not, never, never heard with of them. I don't listen to a lot of music, to be honest.
0: Oh, okay. okay. All right. Um, and Milton, I mean, no offense, but this is all kind of coming out of nowhere and, and like, I, I've never heard of jazz Sabbath. Uh, I've never heard of you. And what, what actually have you been up to these, these past 50 years?
2: Well, aside from writing letters every uh, seven to 10 right. days, um, <laughs> right. I, I've been doing a little, um, a little bit of work as a as a gardener for uh, for quite some time. Um, uh, I, st- I still used to play a little bit just to keep my uh, keep my hand in. Uh, I Used to play at a restaurant called Pizza Piazza in uh, in a, a town called Marlow um, in west out of London. And okay. I used to play there with a, a guitar player called Chester Draws who I uh, who, uh, who guests actually on the album. So it's, oh, okay. Um, it's uh, yeah, I mean just a few gigs here and there, but to be honest. Um, I've been trying to get this story told for fifty years, and I am so grateful, uh, you know, for, uh, for journalists like yourselves to um, to get involved and try and you know try and uh, tell the truth, tell the true story.
0: Right on, right on. Well, it's uh, at times it, it seems like a, a sad and tragic story here, but we're glad that the album is finally going to see the light of day. Again, Jazz Sabbath. We're talking with Milton Keynes. The pianist of the of the trio known as jazz sabbath are you guys uh or you milton on social media do you do like facebook and instagram and that type of stuff
2: uh, yeah, well there's there's some uh, some uh, minions in the office that do all that kind of thing to be honest i don't i don't have a computer um or a uh, phone, so uh, it's kind of down to, uh, down to the other people, the, the record company. But uh, jazzsabbath.net apparently is, uh, is where you can find, uh, find stuff, so that's, that's the place to go.
0: Cool, and as we mentioned, the songs on the record are, are songs that most of us know as Black Sabbath songs. Could you run down some of the titles for us? What, what songs are actually on there?
2: Well, it's obviously Rat Salad and uh, Fairies Wear Boots, uh, Iron Man. Uh, another another kind of classic of ours that was uh, stolen. Um, Children of the Grave uh, is uh, is obviously a big one, um, and uh, there's a uh, couple changes, which uh, we changed the title to that one quite a few times. So, it uh, uh, really did end up as changes on the record. So <laughs> okay, right.
0: So there's, there's meaning a meaning behind that.
2: Huh? It, there is. We. I mean, I I saw talking in. Uh, in quite depthly in the documentary i don't know if you've uh, seen that with the, yes. uh, robert, robert Powell is uh, uh, you know uh, again helping to uh, to bring the truth to the masses and um, uh, yeah we discussed some of the titles on the film which is which is good
0: awesome well it's been an honor talking with you milton and the best of luck with jazz sabbath finally seeing the light of day over 50 years since you guys uh, originally recorded it and wanted it to be released. So I'm, I'm glad for you that this is finally coming out and best of luck to you, Milton. Thanks, Mel. Jazz Sabbath, right there on Talking Metal. The debut album, Missing for 50 Years, has been found and it's going to be out shortly, guys. Uh, Check it out on all your streaming services. And yeah, Jazz Sabbath, finally seeing the light of day after 50 years. Big thanks to Milton for joining me. And right now, you know, I, I, I want to get into some Ozzy Osbourne. This is a song called Hand of the Enemy written by Ozzy Osbourne, Kevin Churko, and Adam Wakeman. This is going back already 10 years ago off the Scream record. Ozzy, of course, is a a new record out, which I've spoken about, and I, I dig the new record, Ordinary Man. But this, again, is another album that I dig by Ozzy, Scream. And uh, this was uh, actually one of the like bonus tracks. I think they, it was, wasn't was on the original release of Scream. It was on the like tour edition or something like that. I guess maybe it was a leftover track or something. But anyways, it's called Hand of the Enemy.
3: Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer, closer. I'm another please. Watch out, watch me, I'm your new best friend, I am!
0: talking metal, and I want to get into my interview with John Wiederhorn, who is a great author and a good friend of mine from Montclair, New Jersey, formerly, I think, of Brooklyn, New Jersey. But first, let's get into Shattered by Savy. Savi here on Talking Metal, uh, some great rock and hard rock metal out of Bulgaria. And that one goes out to my good friend Steven Saylor, who requested that. Stephen is one of our patrons on Patreon. I encourage you to join us on Patreon. It's a good hang on Patreon. And you support Talking Metal. You support what I'm doing by joining us on Patreon. And a uh, big shout out to Stephen Rodriguez, who also just uh, joined us on Patreon. Glad to have you join the party of uh, of the patrons on Patreon, S- Steve Rodriguez. I appreciate that. Did I say Steven Rodriguez? It's Steven Saylor, Steve Rodriguez, I believe. And Steve, I'm going to play a song for you in a minute. But before I do that, uh, I did want to mention John Wiederhorn. An interview with John Wiederhorn coming up shortly here on Talking Metal. But right now, let's get into a song by odometer odometer I think odometer right Steve I I think that's how it's pronounced o-d-o-m-e-t-r and this song is called Time to Shine and I'm sending this out to Steven no not Steven Steve Rodriguez who has uh, now joined us on Patreon That one is for you. Time to shine by Odometer here on Talking Metal. Thank you for joining us. And without further ado, we're going to get into my interview with my friend John Wiederhorn, a guy who I've hung out with many times. I've jammed with. I've and, uh, drunk and drank and I've drank many beers with. Uh, he's a great guy and he has some excellent books. So let's uh, talk with my friend John Wiederhorn right now here on Talking Metal. Hey, it's Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal podcast and calling in once again. I know we've had him on the show at least two or three times before. John Wiederhorn. John, how are you?
1: I'm doing okay, Mark. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. I'm doing good under the circumstances. We obviously have a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world right now and people are kind of hunkering down staying home, and what better time uh, than now to read a book because <laughs> that's what I'm doing. I got a couple books going, and I got to tell you, your new book, Raising Hell, is is one of them. And Wow, it's great. Some really great stories in this book. It is, again, Raising Hell Backstage Tales from the Lives of Metal Legends, and there is some juicy stuff in this book, some fun stuff. Let's talk a little bit about... Where this uh, idea for the book came from, John?
1: Sure thing. Uh, about seven years ago, I did a, uh, a book that was an oral history of metal called uh, "Louder Than Hell." Uh, I read that, the that one too. Oral history yeah. of metal. Yeah, and and um, that was a, a great foot in the door kind of situation, and uh, it outlined metal and the history of the genre from the sixties to the present day. Um but my favorite parts of it weren't the parts that explained how metal has evolved or what albums were important it was really what was going on behind the scenes and how the cultures of the uh different genres or subgenres were uh um you know kind of colorful and uh, uh displayed the lifestyle at the times and how they differed from one another um you know there were a lot of great uh I guess, sex, drugs, and rock and roll stories, for lack of a of a better like, right. explanation. Right. But I thought, wow, you know, I mean, everybody loves that stuff. And for me, if that stuff has a really good story or a twist ending or great details, then, then that's what I, I find really enjoyable. So I thought, you know, it would be really cool to get a book together that just had a bunch of great stories, you know, just... Uh, Kind of the stuff that, that uh, bandmates talk about when they're when they're uh, together and not working on music and just having a couple beers and laughs, and uh, put that all together in these different chapters that are each separated um, to focus on one aspect each of the metal lifestyle. When, you know, whether it's uh, uh, crazy things that happen on the road or uh, the dangers of uh, of touring or, you know, mishaps on stage down to the, to the basic, uh, you know, alcohol uh, stories, um, strange experiences with, uh, with the occult or paranormal. Um, And then everything's divided up. So the groupies chapter is called girls, 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 which is of course a Molly Cruz song and everything is named after a song or some aspect of, of, of metal. There's one, chapter named after after an album and one is called that was spinal tap and that's that's kind of uh right. self-explanatory but it it was one of my favorite chapters cuz i've always i've always asked artists uh you know tell me your best spinal tap story yeah and when they don't say oh we got lost under a stage once which is kind of a snooze sometimes they come up with some really really funny um, and and odd um anecdotes that, that very well could have been in uh,
0: the movie right absolutely and again the the amount of people you have in this book is is staggering I mean and we're talking big-name artists you know bands like Black Sabbath Judas Priest Slayer Megadeth anthrax Pantera but also like lesser-known artists too and how did how did you determine whose stories made the cut it was just the best well, stories having... win because I mean there's some I have to admit there's a few names in the book when i was reading i was like i was like uh who who is this person? like primitive man i remember like they're in the book and and i had to kind of remind myself about who they were but their their story was great you know so it was still very entertaining to read even though i didn't actually know who they were
1: right yeah well that was that was part of my goal um i've been interviewing artists for so long that i've gotten a uh a pretty good handle on on which have great stories and uh, which give good interviews uh, as much as I love Iron Maiden, there was really no need to go to any of the members and ask them if they would contribute to the book because they generally don't tell outrageous tales. I'm sure they have funny stories to tell. I'm not, I'm not doubting that. But they're polite English gentlemen who you know, really don't uh, spill the tea, I guess, as the kids, the kids say these days. Um, so I, I kind of cherry-picked who I wanted to talk to. And uh, for instance, I knew that John Gallagher from Raven had uh, always is, is a great interview and has amazing stories to tell and has been doing this for so long. And while the average metalhead might not know Raven, they were a significant group from the new wave of British heavy metal scene. And, uh, you know, they did some great songs and are, are, are worth knowing um, kind of on a same, same uh direction there's a fellow named king fowley from a band called deceased and uh, deceased are lesser known you know they were on uh relapse records and uh, i think they're on hell's headbangers now so you know they're they're much more obscure but the guy is just a treasure trove of of wild stories and has absolutely lived the uh Uh, you know, the, the hard life of, of, uh, of metal excess and, and, and especially debauchery and holds no punches when it comes to, uh, (laughs) telling really grisly and, uh, harrowing and hilarious stories in great detail. So, um, I, I knew who could tell a great story, uh, before I went in and asked them if they'd, uh, if they'd contribute to the book and, uh, the the ground rules were pretty much that look i don't want to throw anyone under the bus you know is it, this is just a fun a fun book which reveals a little bit about metal culture and a lot of hat you know has a lot of great stories be they uh really really funny or or kind of chilling but you know i don't think anyone's going to be uh, screaming for their lawyers at least i hope not <laughs> i think uh you know it, it there's there's nothing that's that's revealed that's um that's, I think, defaming or embarrassing in any way.
0: Right, right on. And you got Gary Holt to write the the intro. That's pretty cool. Exodus Slayer guitarist, Gary Holt. Uh, how did that come about?
1: Oh, it was great. Um, I, I've known Gary for a while, and uh, he's another one of those characters who who just always gets great interviews and uh, doesn't hold back when it comes to what he's experienced in uh in life with uh, Slayer and Exodus and certainly the San Francisco Bay Area thrash scene. So, you know, he was uh, running around with Paul Bailoff, the members of Metallica, and uh, even guys from Death Angel when they were really young. And uh, they were just wreaking havoc at house parties in San Francisco, and he talked about them. He spoke, he, he told me a lot of the stuff when I did Louder Than Hell. He gave me some great details about some great stories. So I knew you know, aside from other interviews I'd done with him, I, I knew that he he just had these great anecdotes, and uh, since he's specialized in destruction and mayhem with a, a wry sense of humor over the years, I thought he'd be really good to uh, get in touch with and and see if he was interested in doing the intro for the book. And he and he was, which was uh, you know, I was I was thrilled about.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and. Some of your other books I just want to touch upon because you, you mentioned uh, Louder Than Hell, The Definitive Oral History of Heavy Metal. Uh, great read. I really enjoyed that. I read that a while ago at this point. Um, <clears throat> the Anthrax, the Scott Ian one, uh, I'm, I'm the Man. I'm right? the Man. Yeah, the story of that guy from Anthrax. That was another great one. And in that book, you there's a a story that I always think of where Al Jorgensen from Ministry keeps showing up at their gigs. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and that inspired me then uh, to eventually read the book that you wrote with Al Jorgensen, which I have to admit, I know it's been out a while, but I only recently read it. Uh, Ministry, The Lost Gospels, According to Al Jorgensen. And man, what an insane story and book that is. I know we're here to talk about the new book, Raising Hell, but I do have to give... Big shout out and props to that book because it's 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 so over the top that I have to I have to admit to you. There's times when I'm reading it is like, is this actually what happened or is this just the way Al remembers it? I mean, did you get that at all when he relayed these stories to you? I mean, because there's some that are just so out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's why I called it the lost Gospels. According to Al Jurgensen. right? Okay. And throughout okay. the book, I have interviews with with his dad, uh, other band members uh, that he'd been with, uh, people who he'd tour with, and they all told their own stories. Some of which slightly contradicted what Al said. And uh, I'm not implying that that these are all fabrications. But uh, through much of the time period that we're discussing here, you know, he was in the throes of heroin addiction, and uh, I think for a lot of addicts who are really caught up in uh, in in the addiction, the day-to-day kind of falls by the wayside. So 30 years later, especially, I mean, I, I kept trouble remembering what I ate for breakfast a week ago, So although it was probably cereal. Um, but, you know, for, right. for someone who's had, had a serious drug addiction, it's hard to remember what happened in the studio or on the road. And a lot of them kind of reinvent their histories. It's interesting. Right. Um, so they sort of piece together, you know, where they were, what might have happened, and and some of them come up with these. I mean, he lived an outrageous life. Fortunately, he's he's clean now, and and hopefully sober again. He's been been on and off, um, but live still tremendous. I saw ministry with Slayer at the last uh, a tour they did, and it was incredible um, for both bands. But uh, yeah, so so um, it was a, a combination of things, and I wanted to do it because. I knew that uh, Al is a really smart guy and an extremely funny guy. Uh and also very self-deprecating.
0: he's hilarious. So, I mean, there's yeah. times when I re- when I read that book and I only just again recently finished it where I Emily, my wife would be like well, what what's so funny cuz I would be laughing at the stories. I mean, <laughs> it, it was it was really there there it was really one of the and funniest books, or at least I got, it was almost like watching an episode of, you know, Larry David. I just start busting out laughing out loud. You know, it's like, uh, it, you know, it's, it's really, it's funny. Yeah. I mean, that's a good, good thing.
1: Yeah, no, I, that's what it was meant to be. Cause his, his stories are so insane. And he tells them in such a way that they're hysterical, but at the same time, so much of them are filled with tragedy And and like, oh, my God, how did you live through that type of, uh, um, you know, verbiage? So um, the way that came to be was really interesting. Um, I'd interviewed him for Louder Than Hell, and uh, I'd asked him about some of his crazy stories after we talked about the the significance of industrial metal and ministry's role in inventing it or pioneering it. And uh, he's like, man, you know, I'm, I'm living in the... Uh, a, a suburb of texas now and you know my neighbors know who i am and everyone uh, uh uh appreciates me as a local rock star and they don't know what i've done or my history or anything about all that and so i don't I, you know i, I, I don't want to tell you too much crazy stuff i'm like okay he's like but if you want to come to uh to el paso and hang out with me you know i could tell you stories that'll have you pissing yourself but right, you c- right. can't write about them and i went oh, Man, what a great offer, but if I can't get a story out of it and, you know, I'm ditching my family for <laughs> a few days to, to fly to Texas on my dime, I don't I don't know if I can accept. So sadly, I turned it down, and then I had another interview with him for a magazine in which he did tell some wild stories. He made the same offer, and I said, Look, the minute you give me the, uh, the go-ahead to write your, your official autobiography, I'm there. And he's like, Yeah, you know what? Let's do it. And right. I was like, really? And, uh, yeah, I don't regret it at all. Although there were times that it was completely harrowing and it was two weeks that I'm lucky I survived, but, really? uh, <laughs> it was, well, there was just a lot of, a lot of drinking and right. a lot of smoking and, and, uh, yeah. some, some, some harrowing moments, but it was a lot right. of fun. And, uh, he, and it's a, uh, it's a fun
0: read too. The, fun read.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Good stuff. So that's, that's one of the books I'm I'm I don't know about most proud of, but my goal was to uh, tell a tale that was completely outrageous and 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 had stories that would be perhaps on par with uh, something like like Neil Strauss's um, The Dirt Molly right. Crew book. Um, and while it wasn't as kind of dirty raunchy, I think it was uh, uh, you know. When it comes to drug anecdotes and and uh, just wild experiences, I think it it, it paralleled that that type of uh, of over the topness.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, the, just all the stories. I've, what's the guy that the old heroin addict, guy? William Burroughs? Is that who? The... Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, a great he's... story in there, and I, I don't want want to spoil it for the talking metal listeners, but that is just outrageously great uh even like the little th- the the trent reznor thing where they like what they like borrow his four track and trash it or something like that yeah um, and they're
1: throwing firecrackers at him on the bus when he was there right their, their roadie and <laughs> poor guy yeah um i i think they've made nice over the years but for a while there was a little bit of <laughs> i think friction between them right um yeah, he, he
0: speaks highly of him in the book, though, from what I mm-hmm. remember. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Anyways, Raising Hell, the brand new book by John Wiederhorn, Backstage Tales from the Lives of the Metal Legends, of Metal Legends. And then, of course, we were just talking about the uh, Lost Gospels, according to Al Jorgensen. Another great read. And, of course, there's i the Man, the story of that guy from Anthrax. That's, that's a real fun read, too, the Scott Ian story that you did with him and of course uh louder than hell the definitive oral history of metal and what else i'm missing some right
1: yeah the agnostic front uh singer roger moret uh i did a book with him and that one's uh, called my riot okay Uh, agnostic front grit guts and glory and uh, for those who don't know agnostic front they were a uh pioneering band in the in, in the new york hardcore scene So um, the the frontman, Roger, was a uh, major player in in helping to put the the New York punk scene together, not the punk scene, the hardcore scene, which came afterwards. And, you know, it it was really composed of a lot of uh, characters that were disenfranchised and had horrible home lives and really lived on the street. And they formed this community, Uh, everything else you know everyone else shunned them their families generally didn't accept them and they uh, they formed this this community and they lived in these squats all along the lower east side which at the time you know in the, the bowery and and uh, the village was really dilapidated and and dangerous and it was a kind of war zone with with gangs and drugs and and um these people were were right in the middle of it and they had these clubs that would be open all night and they just would form bands and go and and perform. And uh, what I thought was re- really interesting about, about that was uh, when, when you talk to most rock guys, uh, you know, the worst things that'll have happened to them will have been, maybe I assaulted a photographer or, or maybe uh, I was, you know, caught drunk driving and I did a night, a night in jail and it was so horrible. And, you know, I, I, I barely made it through the evening and boo hoo. And, you know, yeah, it's, I wouldn't right. wanna, have that happen but when you compare it to someone like this guy from Agnostic Front, um, who to survive had to sell drugs, and uh, wound up getting busted with uh, a large amount of uh, of cocaine uh, in his car, and he did a year and a half in jail. And wow. as a uh, Hispanic uh, I- immigrant, um, there was a, a you know Cuban he. he was facing possible uh, extradition or uh, or an, a lifetime sentence in a federal prison. So uh, he, he got a good lawyer and after a year and a half did get off because it was a clear case of entrapment. But uh, he tells the story of being in prison. And it's very much, you know, um, what was that show that HBO had that Evan Seinfeld was in Oz? It's, it's the real, you know, it's the real deal. He was, he had to pick sides, uh, who to align himself with so he could survive gang fights. He had shanks that, uh, he had to hide in order to, to, uh, grab. in, in the event that there was a, a major attack, he was, he was told to throw acid in someone's face at one point point, uh, not, not the kind that, you know, trips you out for days, but the kind that, uh, Burns, burns and scars uh, you <laughs> burn flesh down to the down to the bone yeah wow. so it was you know fortunately he didn't have to do it but uh in the end but but he he really went through this harrowing ordeal and and um has also been a key figure in this in this music scene so to me it was just an amazing story and that he's been able to survive all of that and is still in the band and making music and you know thriving i i uh I always look for stories. If I'm going to do a book with someone, I I want someone who who has lived uh, a life that's been been filled with contrast and uh, kind of triumph in the face of adversity. Um, So, I mean, so many musicians have that story, but uh, the ones in particular that I've worked with seem to be really, uh, uh, good examples of of, of that. And, and the triumph part of it, I think, really, the redemption um, makes it uh, not a Hollywood ending, but gives it makes it less dark, I suppose. It gives you a light at the end of the tunnel.
0: Cool, cool. Well, again, John, thanks for joining us here on the Talking Metal podcast. I did want to uh, ask you about something you told me the other day, and I can edit this out if it's top secret or something, but you said you were in the city... Um, a couple days ago with Kirk Hammett of Metallica fame. What was going on there? Anything you can share with us?
1: Yeah, yeah. Actually, it was all about uh, Kirk and uh, the Greeny guitar, the, the Peter Green legendary guitar that he bought a couple of years ago, and oh. he recently played it at a Peter Green benefit. I read that. This was for... But yeah, this is for a cover story for Guitar World, that should be out in about a month and a half. Um, and Kirk's just great. He's uh, thoughtful and interesting. Uh, it's not a Metallica article, but it does very much focus on him as a guitar player and as an artist, and discusses his inspirations and his influences, and and this one particular guitar, and the the history that it's had. It was originally owned by Peter Green who of course was a founding member of the original Fleetwood Mac back when they were kind of a gritty bluesy, uh, rock band, very dark. And, uh, certainly not the, the group that evolved later with, uh, you know, you can go your own way and, and, uh, all those, all all the big hits, the rumors album. And, uh, but it was a, a different, uh, era for the band. And, um, he, Peter Green, Kind of went insane. He, right. he had a uh, very
0: Sid Barrett-esque you know, uh, yeah, story yeah, he had, yeah. You
1: know, a combination of mental illness and 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 drug abuse, and it got to the point where you know people like wouldn't recognize him in, in in public, or he would just do outrageous things or say crazy stuff, talk to himself, and really couldn't couldn't continue um with the band, but but was legendary in his own in his own right, and he had this guitar greenie that he played. Uh, it was a 55 Les Paul, 59, one of those classic, amazing years. And uh, it eventually ended up in the hands of Gary Moore. And uh, Gary played it throughout his career, including uh, Thin Lizzy Records. Um, and there's some great history uh, about what happened while it was in the ownership of, of uh, Gary Moore, who eventually sold it and it ended up in, uh, in Kirk Hammett's hands. And he tells the whole the whole story of the guitar and how it really changed his playing. He views it as this very inspirational vehicle. He played a lot of solos and uh, hardwired to self-destruct using his guitar. And he says when he picks it up, it, it almost plays him. It speaks to him, and it, it not like, talking to him Peter Green style but you know it uh, right
0: that's amazing it, though it, so the same guitar is on Fleetwood Mac records was used on Thin Lizzy records and also Metallica records the same actual guitar right
1: yeah that's yeah.
0: wow that's crazy that's awesome
1: yeah no, it's it's pretty amazing so uh, we talked about the whole the whole history of of that and then uh, touched on his uh, fascination with guitars and the horror Based guitars that he that he right. created, and uh, his interest in, in in horror and why and where that stemmed from, and um, it was it was good. It was a really good in- interview. Uh, cool. It's funny when they tell you, yeah, sure, we will, we'd love you to do a cover story on Kirk Hammett, but you can't talk about Metallica. Right.
0: <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, I worked but with it, uh, I worked with Kirk once when uh, for VH1. He, mm-hmm. the Metallica guys they won't go on podcasts apparently or so I'm told it's like uh, they don't do podcasts somebody in their management told me but anyways when I was at VH1 I had the opportunity to work with him for some packages for VH1.com and some like behind the scenes stuff on that metal show and he was like the nicest guy but we got that same line uh, you can ta- ask him anything you want just not about Metallica you know so it was kind of funny
1: Right. Yeah, no he he would bring it up from time to time and then it was fair game but I have no idea whether on the in the process of working on the next record or what's happening with James or just none of that because it just wasn't it uh wasn't germane to the story and it was also off limits and I have to respect that. So Right.
0: Right on. Cool. Well, John, as always, great talking with you. Uh stay safe out there and folks definitely pick up Raising Hell. Backstage Tales from the Lives of Metal Legends by John Wiederhorn. It's the perfect time, in my opinion, to uh, dive into some some reading, and this is definitely a book that we recommend here on the Talking Metal Podcast. Thank you,
1: John. Yeah, thanks so much. And I think I think it's a book that's fun, and uh, in these times of turmoil and and uh, you know uncertainty, it's it's a love letter to metal fans, and it's really escapist. Um, and I, I, my goal was to really just kind of make it a, a laugh out loud read that you could just pick up and, and read any chapter because it, there's no sequence. It's just a bunch of stories and quotes.
0: Right on. Cool. Well, thanks again for your time, and I'm sure I'll see you soon.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And you stay safe too.
0: Classic ministry here on Talking Metal off the Filth Pig record, the title track, Filth Pig. I love that record. I saw ministry for the first time on that tour back in 1996 at Roseland. It was an awesome show. One of my favorites, actually. And I I wish they put that one back in the set list, Ministry. Uh, We have tickets to see him this summer in Montclair, the same town uh, John Wiederhorn lives in. I've seen him play Montclair, too, before, and they were excellent. So hoping that happens, hoping all our concerts come back to us full steam this summer. And on that note, uh, again, I'm going to wrap it up. Let's remember to support John Wiederhorn by his, uh, his new book, Raising Hell, and What a Better Time Than Now. Uh, than to read a book right i don't know if that makes any sense but uh, there's no better time than now i guess is what i'm trying to say than, than now to read a book especially if you don't have kids uh, you'd be able to really relax <laughs> and enjoy yourself uh, I'm, I'm like just i'm trying to educate my kids and feed my kids and everything else so i'm, I'm more than stressed out but uh, as i mentioned i'm not going to talk about that stuff anymore so let's uh let's call it a day here on talking metal thanks guys. Best of luck to all you guys. And uh, again, we're going to keep it rocking here with the Talking Metal Podcast. I'll talk to you when I talk to you, hopefully, sooner than later.